are in this series, we're on the downhill side, okay? The downhill side, the downhill slope of Psalm 23, and we're talking about how we can live in the goodness of God. Probably, you know, Psalm 23 probably one of the most you know, familiar chapters in the entire Bible. And today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how we can live above fear. Anybody struggle with fear? We're going to talk about how we can live above fear, especially fear when we face the dark shadow times of life. And so I'm going to invite you to grab your message notes. They'll look like this. And you can take some notes today and follow along. All the Bible verses I'll use will be here because we're going to have several Bible verses that would come to talk into uh, Psalm 23 as we go through this time together today as we're looking at verse 4. And I just want to begin by reading the first four verses uh, together, read them together out loud. Remember, it's our goal that at the end of the series we'd have it memorized. So I hope you're working on this. And we're actually doing it together in the ESV, English Standard Version. And so just know that. And so here we go. Let's just read this together out loud, okay? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What we're going to do today is we're going to grab hold of verse 4, that last part that we read. And so it's probably some of the most familiar, actually probably the most familiar verse in the Bible for many of you, uh, because it's read so often at funerals. It's a time that we look and we actually get strength from this when we face times of death. But I just want to say that this is more than just for funerals. This is more than just times of death, that this entire chapter, but even what we're going to talk about today from this verse 4, it's for life. It's for the life we live when we face the dark times of life. And as we jump in, I just want to just help us to understand that um, the, the phrase, the shadow of death, even though it has great meaning and we can really picture walking through this shadow of death valley, this time that we're in, that's not the only way that it could have been translated. And so it's kind of like a variant translation, actually. And so the more clear way that this verse could have been translated would have been something like going through the darkest valley, the darkest valley, or going through the valley of dark shadows, and so when we have it that way, then it, does, it takes it out of death. And so what we realize is, is it relates to all of us because we all go through dark valley times. We all go times through those times when we face the dark shadows. It expands it from being about just about the darkest time of life, which would be death, to all the dark times of life that we go through so that we can gain strength through this, like the darkness of losing a job. That's a traumatic time. Or the health crisis or a financial issue or struggle that causes deep angst or a relationship breakdown. We all know that how dark those times can be or the overwhelming consequences of addiction that are going on in the family or someone that we love and we know or the crushing loss of a dream or a hope. So today what I want you to realize is, is that this message is for all of us because we are all going to face these times and some of us are in them right now and I just pray for your encouragement today. Pray that you'd hear from God, you'd know his love for you, that he is a good God. Now, in my life, I face dark valleys, and I'm very open about those and talk about them quite a bit. And a few weeks ago, I mentioned this, but I'm just going to bring it back up again today, that most of you know that when I was 31, 
that uh, my first wife, Darla, was killed in a car accident. We were both in out of the car and had a head-on collision, and she was killed in that accident. And I was recently reminded by this, by uh, a, a book that came out that was on the 90-year history of the church that Darla and I were pastoring when we were in college together. And so they did a 90-year history, and so we're in that book. And there's a segment in there where it talks about my grief and my loss, but it also talked about what they felt. And so, you know, I've never really stopped to think about how devastated they were, these people who had loved us, who had invested in us, and who uh, had adopted us as family because we had no family in that area, and how it actually impacted them in such a deep way. It was by far, I'll tell you, the darkest valley of my life, as many of you might know, and have been through something like that. So there was a newspaper snippet that was actually in there. I want to show you this. And so I was reading through the book, and then there's the snippet right there that had been in a local publication. Someone in our office just read that and had tears in her eyes because it just makes you feel when you read that someone else has experienced something that's so deep and actually so dark. But then in 1994, my son Ryan was born, my first child. I discovered that I had a liver disease, hepatitis C from lifestyle before I you know, gave my life to Jesus and following him from choices that I made uh, through drug use and through associations that I, were, that I was involved in. And so I found out that I had hepatitis C in 1994 uh, as a result of a blood test for life insurance. And some of you may have had some uh, similar experience as you go through your life. And the prognosis in 1994, when I was, it wasn't even called hepatitis C then, it was called non-A, non-B is what it was called, hepatitis. And so the prognosis at that time was scary. It was sobering. And so the doctor, he looked at me when he told me this, and he told me uh, that it, would, it could lead to possible liver damage, including cirrhosis and liver cancer and death. And I'm just sitting there, and my son has just been born, and I'm feeling the darkness of this. And then I really felt it because it was of my choice. I'm the one that gave myself hepatitis C by my choices. So in 1999, I was finally treated with interferon, which is the only medication available at the time. And I underwent a daily regimen of self-injected shots for 13 months, 13 months. And before I really hit the darkest time, the most devastating time, when the treatment had been working, I was declared as a responder and the doctor was so happy and he was rejoicing with me. And at month 13, I relapsed. And the doctor told me that he said he had never had a patient relapse while still on treatment, but it was me. I did. Now, one of the side effects of interferon is depression. And so later on, I did another series of treatments in 2012. Um, in fact, what I found out then is that many people never even finish the protocol because it is hell going through it. It's just so nasty. And so I experienced depression then. And then that depression, because of the news and because of the interferon, it, it led me into a pathway of depression that I lived with for 13 years. I understand depression, folks. I understand what it does to a person, uh, to a family, to an organization. I understand the darkness. And at year 13, after all my pleading, after all my praying, God finally answered my prayers and he delivered me. And I'm going to share a little bit about that towards the end of our time together. If I could have time, I could go through an entire list of dark times. You guys know that I'm a recovering Eeyore, so it's not hard for me to think of the dark times. <laughs> okay? 
But you know that that's what I would do because I can do that. But it is lengthy, okay? Lengthy, the dark times that Kim and I especially have gone through in our lives. And I'm sure that you've had your dark times as well. In fact, just even me talking about that is probably bringing up some feelings in you. And some of those feelings are for me, but some of those feelings are for you. And the experiences that you've had, the darkness that you've gone through in life. And you may be in one right now. And so if you are, you just want you to know that even though today may be hard and difficult for you, and even though you may want to come up and punch me out at a certain point because you're not feeling what I'm going to say today, that this is a good day to be here. It's a good day to be here. It's a hard day to be here, but it's a good day to be here because some of what I'm going to share today is actually going to seem impossible for you and where you're at. But I believe that if you will just listen to me, and if even just today you don't feel anything at all, you don't feel any different, uh, that you would catalog this and that God would bring it back at a certain point in the future for you that would be able to help you with perspective and you face your dark times. So we started the series with this quote from Dallas Willard, and we're going to come back to this. It's from A Life Without Lack. It's his book on the 23rd Psalm. And so if you want a copy of that, you can look in our bookstore. It's a very popular book, and it's hard to get right now. And so we, I think we have three or four copies left, and that's it. It's out, it's out of stock. Um, but if you want to get one, you can. But here's his quote. A life without lack, which he would say comes from a translation of Psalm 23, where it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing or I have no lack. So he calls it a life without lack then. A life without lack is a life in which one is completely satisfied. Notice that word, completely. Would you like to be there? Completely satisfied and sustained no matter what happens. And then he emphasizes it by adding again, no matter what happens. And for today, even the dark times of life. Just thinking about that as we're going through this day, even the dark times of life. So this is kind of, this is kind of the way life is, okay? Psalm 23 starts out with, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He makes me lie down, and we're like tiptoeing through the tulips here. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me on paths of righteousness for his name's sake, and then whack! That's the way life is, folks. That's just the way life is. Dark times do not warn you before they come, typically. They whack you upside the head. They catch you by surprise. They cause you to feel this, you know, this equilibrium and that you're wondering if you can stand up. You go from this life of contentment and peace and clarity to a total change of scenes. Verse 4 is reality. It shakes us up. It rocks our face. So what I want to do is I want to take verse 4 apart today, and we're just going to kind of walk through it piece by piece, and we're going to learn some things about how we can live above fear in dark times from what the psalmist writes in chapter, verse 4. So it all begins, first, you want to write this down, it all begins when I realize the facts about valleys. I realize the facts about valleys. And so what I want to do is I want to you know, walk through this phrase, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and you might underline the word through, and because we're going to come back to that in just a few moments and talk about it. But I just think it'll help. I think it'll help if you understand valleys, right? Be, you know, that you'll know when you're there that you're normal, and that you don't have to be you know, too afraid because other people before you have gone before, told enough to write about it, so they've at least covered enough to write about it, so you can have hope in that. And the first is this. Four facts about valleys. Valleys are inevitable. They're inevitable. They are unavoidable. 
You cannot avoid pain and suffering. Now, this goes totally against the American vision, totally against it, where, especially right now in culture, right now in culture, it's all about personal happiness, it's all about comfort, and it's all about personal freedom. The Bible never talks about any of those three being our reality, because what we're going to experience is pain that is inevitable. Pastor John Piper said it like this. He says, it will be of great advantage to the struggling Christian to remember that the seasons of darkness are normal in the Christian life. And I just want to just throw a word of warning here for those of you who like to watch and listen to uh, podcasts or you like to watch, you know, download YouTube and you watch preachers. I can't understand why you'd ever do that, uh, but you do. And so I just want you to know that uh, there are some folks out there and there's some folks even in Northern California, Southern California and uh, Texas that, that are very famous and you would look at them and they would teach something that, is, that the Bible would never teach. And that is that God's design for you is to live a life of comfort and pleasure and abundance of material possessions. And so you just don't find that anywhere in the Bible. In fact, Jesus made it clear. Jesus said himself in John 6, 16, 33, Jesus says, in this world you will have, you guys know it? Troubles, trials, tribulations. It's his forecast. It's not like the weather forecasters where they get paid whether they're right or not. Jesus was saying, this is your forecast. In this world, you will have troubles and difficulties. So God never promised a life that's free of the dark times. He never did. That life, that vision ended with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when they ate of the fruit and sin and brokenness and evil entered our world. Second, Valleys of darkness are inconvenient. Now, you guys could all talk about this. There's no good time, is there, to walk out and find your car batteries dead? There's no good time for that experience. There's no good time to get that call from the doctor's office and say, oh, about those tests, we need you to come in. Wow. There's no good time for the call from your supervisor advising you, I'm sorry, but your position has been cut. There's no good time to get the flu, Right? or cold, or pneumonia, or any other thing that would cause us to have to slow down in our fast-paced world. There's no time for a surgery. There's no time for a health procedure. There's no time to get your kid off the rails. If they're, I mean, when they've gone off the rails to go to rescue them, there's no time for that. There's no time to discover you have termites, right? Oh, termites, and you have to get rid of them. There's no time for that. Valleys are just inconvenient. We wouldn't call them interruptions if they weren't. They interrupt our lives. Third is this. Valleys of darkness are temporary. This is why the word through is so important. Temporary, through. Through is crucial to understanding values, I mean, uh, valleys. It's really helpful to recall that the valley is not the destination. The valley is not the destination. The valley that you go through is the pathway to your destination. It's where you go through to get where God wants you to ultimately be. And I know, as I said earlier, this is hard for some of you to hear because right now you're in the middle. And it seems like you're in the middle of something. And I know when I was in the middle of depression for 13 years, I'd actually decided it was going to last forever. I'd actually decided that God was not going to change it. And that God and I were going to get to walk together through depression the rest of my days. And so some of you may think that that's where you are, but what it is, it's a through. It's where God is taking us 
too. And we all need to remember this. The only way out of suffering is through suffering. So we try to escape it. There's so many ways we try to get around it, but the only way is to go through it. So instead of trying to escape from the pain, remember that the best way out is through. That's why it's important that we need to learn what God wants while we're there in, the, in that valley. So that's the fourth thing that we want to look at is this valleys of darkness are purposeful. This is where some of you are going to, you know, the back, hair on the back of your neck is going to come up just a little bit. Because you're going to think, how could a good God, how could a good God allow this into my life? It is so painful. It is so hard. It is so difficult. And I don't see how anything good could ever come from this. How could a good God allow that to happen? And what we learn is a good God allows pain. God is good. And God allows pain. And part of the thing that God is working on in our lives as we're in the middle of the valley is that our valley times can be productive. They can have a purpose. And they can produce something better in us. And I remember when I was in college, and one of my, probably freshman or sophomore year of college, and uh, the, I was uh, presented a book by Viktor Frankl. And many of you probably in college read Viktor Frankl as well, and the man's search for meaning in life. And so we read this book, and it was all about his attempts to explain suffering and pain and evil in this world. And so uh, he was talking about his experience and that he had been in four different German concentration camps. Four different. He'd seen every family member die. He'd seen friends die Loved ones die, acquaintances die, people he didn't know die. He had seen death. And then he had also seen people who had survived, saw people crushed by the death. And he also saw people who seemed to survive in the middle of the struggling. And so he wrote about that in Man's Meaning of Life. And so I'm going to read a quote from him. I'm going to read another one later on. This is what he says. He says, if there's meaning to life at all, then there must be meaning in suffering. You, can't, you can try to deny it, but if you deny it, you're going to stay there. But what you need to do is say, okay, God, if there's meaning in suffering, help me to find meaning in it. And so that's what Romans 8, 28 talks about. It says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And then here's the purpose right here. For God, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to what? Be conformed to the image of his son. So God allows dark valleys into our lives because he knows that it's in the dark valley that we can be formed into the image of his son. Now, I'll just say this last, if we cooperate. If we cooperate with what he wants to do in that time. And so I just want to share it this way, just for you to get a perspective about this, maybe. Maybe it's going to be helpful in some way. Since God's purpose is to make us more like Jesus, okay, that's his purpose, to make us more like Jesus, it stands to reason that he would allow us to go through some of the things that Jesus went through, right? He's going to make us more like Jesus. It stands to reason he would allow us to go through some of the things that Jesus went through. In Isaiah 53, it says that Jesus is a man of suffering. You read through the Gospels. You read how Jesus was betrayed, how Jesus was um, uh, beat on and spit on, and he was actually hung on a cross at a certain point, but uh, he was, you know, betrayed by those who were closest to him. And you just read through on and on about the Gospels. You see that Jesus, he, he had a lot of valleys that he was in while he was here on earth. And so if he's going to have to go through those valleys, we're going to have to go through those as well. And so it's part of God's 
purpose. So I'll just say it this way. The best thing to do, and I'm just telling you, this is not easy. I can't tell you how many times I was crying out to God, cursing God, tears just streaming down my face when I'm in depression, asking him to end my life if this is the way it was going to be, and to realize that I would need to sit back and rest in this season and let him accomplish in me what he wanted to accomplish, even if I wanted to get out in every way. Look at what 1 Peter 4 says. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So we're going to suffer. Now we commit, our, commit ourselves to be with him, and then we continue to do what he's asked us to do. Okay, next thing is this. Let's go on the back side of your notes. Some of you are thinking, God, we took so long on the first side. This is all about suffering, and so is he going to keep us here all day? And so, no, I'm not, okay? So we're going to go a little bit faster now. Uh, and so remember the closeness of the shepherd. And I, actually, this, that other was really good, but this is the best, okay? This is actually the best thing I'm going to share today. So I really want you to listen to me. Remember the closeness of the shepherd. He says, for you are with me. So in verses 1 through 3 in the la-la land of verses 1 through 3, it's all about truth. It's all about the truth I know about God. It's all about the truth of my existence. It's all about the truth of following him and walking with him. And then as he transitions into verse 4, he now has, he's now not speaking about truths about God. He's having an actual conversation with God, an actual conversation with God. He expresses intimacy with his good shepherd. And this is an intimacy, I'll just tell you, it's been formed, forged in the fires of suffering. It's been forged in the fires of suffering as the psalmist would turn to God and experience God's goodness and experience God's love, and then he knew God's truth, but this is time he's saying, oh, God, you are my good shepherd. And he turns it into a personal statement. What he's saying here, he's saying to you and to me, in the valley of life, the valley of death, in the darkest valley, you're going to find that that's where God is. And God is there. You think, well, how could God be there? I'm just going to guarantee you, God is there. And he wants to meet with you, and he wants to be with you in that moment. So we go from knowing, when we go through the struggles of life, we go from knowing truths about God to we go through having intimacy with God. We go through truths of religion to we go through intimacy of relationship as we move into these times together into as verse 4 talks about. So in Isaiah 43, it talks about this whole idea. It says, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. That's his promise. And that's the promise he says, because I am with you. This is the experience that you will have. And you will not be destroyed in the valley, is what he's saying there. And so we learn to walk with him in intimacy. So the next idea is this. In the dark valleys, I'm going to, these next two, I probably should have done them. I'm just, you know, you probably don't need to know this. I should have done these next two in one point, but they're in two, okay? So we're going to cover them quickly as we're going to talk about the rod and the staff together. The first one is this. I can rely on protection of the shepherd. I can rely on the protection of the shepherd. And so he goes, he talks about this. He says, your rod, so it's personal experience, your rod and your staff. So this is stop right there. And I'll show you a picture of a rod and a staff. And so a rod was somewhere, you know, on the left there, it was a piece of wood somewhere around two to three feet long, and it had a heavier end, and it was actually just like a, you know, a club. 
Uh, some of you may sleep with a baseball bat in your bedroom, you know, something like that. And so uh, he, would, he was actually very adept with, the, with this rod, and he could actually throw the rod as a weapon. And uh, he could, you know, uh, with lions, you know, they didn't have lions like they have in Africa. They had like lions like we have, like similar mountain lion types. And so he would be able to defend the sheep from those. So he had the rod, and then he had a staff, and that was longer with that picture is not quite what I would picture, but maybe that's more accurate. I'm not sure. But it had a hook on the end that he would actually use and work with. So the first is a rod, and the rod was, the, you know, the, the, was used for guarding and protecting. It was used for guarding and protecting. So he had to have that rod to guard and protect. He would use it as a club to fight off predators. And then he would have a staff, and he would use the staff for guiding and directing. So he would have the staff there, and he's, you know, he needed to move the sheep along. And, and um, I'm going to share a little bit more about how intimate that move might be. Um, but he would move to guide and direct the sheep as he would do that. So next idea is this. If I'm going to live above fear, I must receive the comfort of the shepherd. So that's the, we're going to talk about rod and staff again, but these are about comfort. Some of you think rod and comfort, are those go the same? <laughs> You're kind of expecting the shepherd to beat you up, right, if you don't toe the line. Some of you had a God like that at one point. Some of you must still have a God like that. But that's not the God of the Bible. That he does not come after you with anger. He does not come after you with a rod. He uses a rod instead in this place. It represents power and authority. That's how you can have comfort. For God, it's like a scepter, a king's scepter. So he's saying, I rule, I reign, and so I have power and authority over the forces of this world. And I, get com- I personally get comfort from that, to know that I can trust him in that way. Philip Keller says this. He wrote the book, that uh, Shepherds Look at the 23rd Psalm. He says, the rod stood as a symbol of the shepherd's strength, his power and his authority in any serious situation. The rod was relied on to safeguard both himself and his flock in danger. So I need to trust him to have power over every circumstance. And in the staff, it was a tool that brought comfort to the sheep, and so it represented care and compassion. Care and compassion. So, you know, the shepherd would use the staff, and the staff, you know, so if the sheep needed to be guided, he might come along and he might nudge them with the staff. So at at a certain point, it actually became, the sheep kind of liked that. It was like a love nudge. From the shepherd, and they were looking forward to that moment when he would nudge them in some way. But he would also use it. Remember last week we talked about that we can get into ruts, and that sheep are not very smart, and so they stay in a rut, and then they get stuck, and they can actually you know die in that rut. And that God wants us to instead lead into a pathway that will lead to life. So the shepherd actually used the staff to lift or to move the sheep out of the rut and move them into a posture where they can move into the rut that leads to life that he really wants them to live in. And so he was using it. But also another thing is that he would use his staff, and this is really cool. He would use the staff to bring the, the sheep that's off to the side, and it's kind of you know insecure off to the side, and he would use it to bring it back in with the other sheep. And so then it's like, oh, I'm with my peeps now. And so he could be relaxed then because he was with the ones that he wanted to be with. So he would use a, sh- a, a staff in that way. So I'm going to give you a picture here of what we're talking about in the shepherd and how helpful I think this is going to be for us. As Christianity started to be a movement and uh, that it was growing and expanding and the Roman government was threatened by this 
a new group called The Way, especially because they worshiped a god, not the Caesar. And so um, they became threatened by the Christians. And so they started into a period of persecution, uh, that they would persecute the Christians. And if you want to read, it's, it's abhorrent, uh, especially what Nero did uh, to Christians to persecute them. And so Christians went underground. And they actually moved down into and would spend a lot of their time in the catacombs. Anybody ever been to the catacombs in Rome? You've seen those? This is a series of caves. And they're actually, they actually lived down there, and they were buried down there. And so uh, you can go see that today. But that's where they actually existed. Uh, and so as historians and archaeologists have gone down into these catacombs, they discovered that there's one image one specific particular image that they find over and over and over again that was painted or drawn on the walls or the ceilings of the catacombs there, and it's this image right here. It's a picture of Jesus as the good shepherd. And Jesus has a sheep over his shoulders, and he's carrying that sheep to a place of a better place. He's showing that I love you and I'm in charge. And later a painting was made of this same idea. And so what I love about this painting is it shows more clear, clearly than the drawing did that was taken uh, from the catacombs. And this shows more clearly that you have the sheep over the shepherd's neck. And the thing about it for me is that then Jesus is holding his legs. And right now, I'm guaranteeing you that sheep's not moving, right? That sheep has, look at it. It's like, oh, I can relax. I can rest. I'm secure in the shoulder and the arms of my good shepherd. And that's the picture that God wants to give us in Psalm 23, 4, is that when we go through the dark times of life, we can trust in him to be our good shepherd and that we can, be with, we can be with him. We can know him. And I talked about the closeness of the shepherd. I will be, that he is near. So when I was going through the deepest part of my depression, right towards the very end, uh, uh, seasonally, as I'm looking back on it now, um, there was one night I was driving home, and um, it was a very, very dark, dark day. I was driving home from work, and it was, it was light outside, but it was dark inside. And so as I'm driving home, I was I'd just been through a day here at the office, and um, when you're your pastor speaking here, okay, day here at the office, and I'm driving home, and it's just been I'm just feeling the darkness just overwhelm me, and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to go on, and I'm crying and I'm screaming, and tears are coming down. I'm driving down Dog Bar Road, and I just literally said, God, I need you to take my life. I can't live like this. I don't think I can live like this, God. Well, I got home and pulled it together enough to come inside and enough to then go back to work the next day and do another message at Twin Cities Church and be involved. And a couple of weeks later, a woman stopped me in the lobby and uh, she waited till everybody was gone. So this is after the last service. She waited till everyone was gone. She's standing out there in the lobby. And I usually know that that's someone who wants to talk about something serious or hard um, and they waited, you know, so that there, nobody else would be around. And so I walked up to her because I knew she was wanting to talk to me. And so I walked over to her and, um, and she said, you know, I, I have a word from God for you. And, you know, where I was right now in my depression at that moment, um, that made me really mad. 
I'd had so many people already try to fix me. And here's somebody who wants to give a word from God to me, and God wasn't giving it to me himself, and so I didn't want to hear it. And so I submitted to that moment. And then she began to tell me her story, and she told me a story of the absolute horrendous abuse that she went through as a young girl and a young woman in her home before she could finally leave her family. And as a result of that, she had been through, she's now in her um, late 40s, and she's uh, still in therapy for all that happened to her back when she was a little girl in her home. And she told me about when she was in the, de the depths of her depression uh, and that she went to her therapist and her therapist said that day, because it had, all, it had always been about how am I going to get out of depression? How am I going to get out of depression? Why won't God heal me? Why won't God change this? Why won't God make things different? That was the whole drive. And you guys been there, right? You want to escape it and get out. Pay the price and get out. And she said her therapist said something to her that day that changed her life. And the therapist said, instead of asking Jesus to take you out of the, your depression, what if you ask Jesus to join you in your depression? And then she told me, and that's what I did. And I am out of the tunnel of depression now. So I listened to her. I'm like, God, you really did want to tell me something. And so I contacted a friend who's a psychologist and a spiritual coach and mentor. And I said to him, you know, I need to enter into a time. And would you help me? And so every week he helped me to come into the presence of Jesus and to have Jesus with me right there in my time. And that I was in the presence of Jesus. And as I'm in the presence of Jesus, I received his empathy, not his accusation, his empathy for me where I was. I received his compassion. I received his love. And through another human being, I was able to experience the love of Jesus at a level I never had in my life. And over a series of months, I can't tell you exactly how long, I was able to look back. I was able to say to Kim one day, you know, I don't think I'm depressed. What about you? <laughs> because <laughs> you want some affirmation, right? Uh, and she said, well, I'm, so, I'm noticing a difference. And so I'm just telling you folks, it was when I got close to Jesus that Jesus took care of my depression. And that's the, the whole Psalm 23, 4 model that is being given to you. Now, it took a long time. I still flirt with depression. Uh, I call it the slippery slope of depression. And when I get depressed, I can feel the pull because depression, I'll just use words that may be crazy, is like a mistress. And it wanted to pull me back in to that place. And now because I just run to Jesus every time, run to Jesus, run to Jesus every time that I think that's about to happen. And he's able to keep me out of that. And that's the power of this verse, Psalm 4, for all of us today, that we can live above fear. Live about. Let me give you the key idea, and we'll wrap up in a prayer. The key idea is this. Fear is my choice. Fear is my choice. The psalmist says, I will fear no evil. Fear no evil. So fear, living in fear, is actually a choice. Now back to Viktor Frankl again. I'm going to give you one more quote from him. He says, forces beyond our control can take away everything you possess except one thing. Your freedom to choose how you will respond to the situation. And I'm going to give you a response here today. I can choose to focus on the shadow or I can focus on the shepherd. 
I can spend all my time focusing on the shadow and how can I overcome this? How can I beat this down? Or I can spend my time instead focusing on the shepherd. And as I focus on the shepherd, the shepherd will lead me to a pathway of healing. And then the psalmist writes this in Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Because of him, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? We can live above fear when we live with Jesus as our good shepherd. And ask if you bow your heads and let's pray together. Well, Jesus, I, I want to come before you. I just want gratitude first. I want to thank you for the pathway you took me down. I thank you that today I'm the pastor I am because of the valleys that you allowed me to go through that we have the church we have, we have the ministry we have, we have the Holy Spirit's presence we have, all because you allowed me to go through these struggles. And I'm just grateful that you've shown me yourself and I've experienced you and I know you. And I know from, because I know me, that I want more. I want more of you because there's still too much of me. Too much of me to keep me from being like Jesus. And God, I just pray now for those in the room who are in the middle of a struggle right now. And I just pray that, that, that you would sense, just even from the people in the room, the comfort that God wants to give you, that there's a power in this room because of the presence of Jesus Christ and everyone who said yes to him. There's a power in this room that is not anywhere else in culture. And that you would feel his presence. You would sense his love. You would sense his compassion for you. And God, I pray for those of us who know people who are in struggles and that we somehow feel that it's our job to have the answer, to fix it, to make it better, uh, to say the right word, to lead them in the right direction, that instead we'd just start praying for our friends. Pray that they have an encounter with the living Christ, that they would know him and come to experience him. And God, I just want to pray for anyone today who's never said yes to Jesus. This would be your moment. As we prayed for those children who were up here, they were so precious and so cute, and we talked about the day they would say yes to Jesus. Maybe this is your day. And you would say, Jesus, I come to you. I'm broken. I've made so many mistakes. They are called sin, and I bring them to you. I believe you died on the cross for me. You went to the one place no other person could ever go, and you did it for me. And I want to receive your forgiveness today. Help me to know what it's like to walk with you. I love you, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.